You're listening to People Real by Brandon Knopf. Hey everybody, it is Brandon again, and today we're going to focus on the startup world, actually. So, the whole world of startups is about beginning a business that, frankly, you will hopefully continue forever. And eventually, if it succeeds, it will reach a unicorn status, which is the ideal um, state of being for many companies because once you obtain an evalu- valuation of about a billion dollars more, you basically have succeeded, at least in today's standards financially. The funny thing, though, is on your way there, or perhaps even if you're in the hundreds of millions of dollars, let's say, or even when you first achieve success in your mind as far as a company. The interesting thing is that you may want to be in a state of what I say, paranoia, because from that point on, your goal will hopefully be to sustain that success. And I talk about that mainly because there is a philosophy out there or there's a concept that was actually driven by um, the previous CEO of Intel Corporation. Um, If you haven't read it yet, there is, I believe, a book written by Andy Grove that is titled Only the Paranoid Survive. Um, If it isn't a book, it is definitely what he preaches, which is that you do need to be ready for anything at any time. And you should be paying attention to your competition. You should be paying attention to whatever may happen moving forward. There are inflection points that he talks about within the book. And overall, it is a thought of um, or set of thoughts that talk about being constantly prepared. Now, if you haven't had that chance to read the book, I do recommend it. It is a, a good text in terms of understanding, perhaps some of that. Excuse me, some of the dynamics that you go through um, running a company, a very large one, in what he actually did for quite a while. And with that being the case, you know, you may consider, hey. It is a very arduous road that you'll be past, or rather, uh, traveling on for years, potentially, maybe your entire life. And during that path or during that time that you run the organization, it's not some easy path, or rather, it's not some easy road where it's literally, I guess, I don't know, whatever analogy you want to use, but frankly, it isn't easy. And I know most of you out there perhaps realize or will accept that fact that it will be a difficult path to achieve perhaps the unicorn status or beyond. However, I don't think it's something that people jump into realizing or thinking about. Now, I need to reverse back to a time when I was a bit younger and more idealistic about this whole process. And at the time, I didn't know how to actually build a startup or I had no idea that perhaps I could be a future leader in terms of running a business and an organization that maybe will impact the lives of millions, if not billions of people. At that time, I was working for a startup at that time 
that became very successful and eventually obtained the unicorn status and rewarded the the folks who started that company. So back in the late 90s, I was a part of a company called DoubleClick. In the late 90s, I had just come back from South Korea after spending some time getting to know my own personal background as far as my heritage and and understanding more about uh, being Korean. And when I arrived into the United States, I started to explore other paths as far as what my future career could be. And I had a fascination and always have had a fascination with computers and technology. And so I decided to do what I could to to jump into that field. Initially, I started off in the IT world and thought maybe I'd jump into the help desk component of most companies, you know, literally supporting employees and, and frankly, improving my skills to, to help all the different individuals and organizations on a technical basis. Soon thereafter, I, after spending a little bit of time at this company called Catapult, which was an IT education company, I learned about an opportunity at DoubleClick in New York City. I was actually traveling out to New York to visit my good friends, Katie and Jim, who were going to get married. And it was my first time in New York uh, for an extended period of time. And while I was there, I thought maybe I could interview with this company. So I applied. And funny enough, I got a quick response. This was right at the beginning, or at least uh, during a prime time of when the dot-com bubble started to blow up. It was in 1996 um, that uh, I ended up, or sorry, 1998, frankly. So it was about five years, a little bit after five years after the internet had become at least more commonly known as a source of potentially future companies that were going to blossom. I think Netscape was doing very well at the time, and frankly, uh, search engines were just starting to garner some traction. At the time, AltaVista was actually one of the, the bigger search engines because Google hadn't arrived to the scene yet. Google arrived around 1999, but um, DoubleClick was actually growing, and I had found them on actually Yahoo, which was the, the, the de facto search engine or directory that showed me organizations or companies in New York. And so I applied, like I said, and I got this response from this lady by the name of Kyle Carter. And Kyle um, invited me to the company to interview. And I had no idea, honestly, what I'd be interviewing for, which was kind of the first very fascinating, fortuitous um event going into the company. And at the time, I got a little bit depressed for some reason, didn't feel so confident, and almost bailed on interviewing for that job, but found some way to gather myself um, and, and you know, get the courage to go to, literally, I think it was 250 uh, North 5th Avenue or something like that in the, the, the Lower East Side uh, at the time. This was near New York university and went to this, you know, thinking, hmm, you know, I don't know what the chances are, but what the heck, might as well. So anyway, went and interviewed. It was probably the most interesting experience that I had ever, you know, had at that time and honestly was blown away because they were so desperate or they needed people so badly that I recall that interview in my mind went 
completely south, or at least I thought it was the silliest interview that I had experienced up through that point, and thought even my answers to a lot of the questions that I was um, asked were really silly answers. For instance, um, the, the vice president of engineering at the time, um, his name was John, uh, I can't remember John's last name at this time, but he came in after Kyle had begun the screening and she introduced me to John after she felt like I was a decent candidate. And John sat down and I think one of the first questions he asked me was a brain teaser. And that question was used probably very often for, you know, with other companies like Microsoft. And so John knew that this could be a, a good question to start off the interview with. And he asked me, why are manhole covers round? And initially I was like really dumbfounded thinking, why would he ask me such a question? But in the height of the moment and in order to save any you know, embarrassment at the time, I immediately answered and gave possibly what type of answer most people might even like, despite not being able to figure out the true solution. So normally you would think that there is some physical element to it, or, you know, you can overcome the concept in a physical way or like, you know, via physics, or perhaps there was some other scientific manner in which you could answer this question. But I immediately approached it from a pragmatic standpoint. What I said was honestly that, John, I will tell you this, I do not know why a manhole cover is round and why they designed it that way, but I will tell you something more important. I might not know now, but I will go back home, I will research it on the internet, I will find out the answer, and I will get right back to you. What do you think of that? And he just bellowed out the lar largest laugh that I had heard in a very long time. And after laughing for a few seconds, he looked at me and said, wow, that was a great answer. I really appreciate what you had just said. And it kind of surprised me. It took me aback or I was a little you know, confused why he would say that. But he said, you know what? That is the type of personality we need on this team. We need somebody who, despite the fact that they are not knowledgeable about maybe some topics that they approach or, or rather are broaching and, and literally tackling for the first time, don't give up. They actually go and find out the answer. And once they do, they, you know, uh, share their learnings and, and frankly move on. And so you, you are definitely the type of person we like. And after that interview, um, I felt very comfortable and I, I was kind of blown away whether or not my answer was, you know, or answers rather were, were sufficient. But, but, you know, I was blown away at the fact that he seemed to be pleased. And so he handed me off to Kyle and uh, I interviewed a few more people who I honestly at the time I thought were ridiculous. Uh, there was a guy by the name of, well, I won't even go into the names of all the individuals. The, the personalities were quite unique to say the least. Well, regardless of all those different interviews, I guess the feedback came um, or she received was I was a decent enough candidate. So immediately after the, the handful of interviews, she asked me to join her in this room. What was even funnier was uh, while she was 
about to give me my offer, she told me to wait for a second. She grabbed the phone and I thought maybe she would call somebody uh, within the company, but instead she called her hairstylist and, and then told me, it's really hard to get an appointment during the day. And so she needed to make sure that she took care of that uh, little task right in the middle of the offer. So again, I chuckled and uh, inside and, and thought, what the heck, whatever. And um, the reason why was because she said after she hung up, this is the offer. She literally wrote down an offer, flipped over the piece of paper and then, you know, slipped it over to me. And then when I looked at the offer, honestly, it was the biggest number I'd ever seen. It was literally 40% more than I had ever made at the time. And so I thought, wow, I just hit the gold mine. The thing I didn't realize was this was New York City. And honestly, that was silly of me to think that that was um, enough. And later down the road, after accepting the job and, you know, you hauling over to New York City with my dad, who I definitely thank so much to this day for helping me. Thanks, Appa. Um, was that honest? Well, it wasn't enough. And unfortunately, Fortunately for me, I accepted the offer and had to struggle with my ex-wife at the time. And during that two years that was I was in New York City, went through quite a bit of stress. But on the positive side, it was such a great experience for so many reasons. And I could go into all of those different reasons. And maybe one of these days when we focus on the educational aspect, I will talk about the notion of hardship and also the understanding that sometimes it's very, very important to go through a lot of experiences that aren't that easy. So I personally advocate to anybody to spend a couple of years in New York City or a very large uh, metropolitan area because, especially if you didn't grow up in such a environment, but um, you know, I've also lived in Shanghai, I've lived in Hong Kong, and you know, Seattle's quite large in itself, but. Frankly, those larger cities and also Seoul um, are definitely different experiences. Like Seoul is a very doggy dog city. And as a result, you do need to do things that maybe aren't as, I guess, friendly or perhaps you have to be a little more cutthroat in such a large city. You have to ignore very, very cold uh, ways of doing things or, or people are not as, as personable. And so I highly recommend that for anybody growing up. And um, once you do experience all of that, it, it helps you grow and then potentially lets you get into other opportunities and be, be a better, I guess, a more mentally stable or more mentally prepared individual. So I highly encourage that all. And again, maybe we'll, we'll save it for another day. Um, when we talk about perhaps education and the importance of experiencing all those different types of environments. But back to the focus here today in terms of only the paranoid survive. Well, that long story told you or helped you understand how I got it to double click. But one thing that was an incredible part of the whole experience was actually interacting with the CEO and the founder, Kevin O'Connor. So Kevin, um, I may have told this to you indirectly at one moment or another, but here you go if you get, ever do get to listen to this podcast here today. So Kevin was doing quite well at the time. DoubleClick was growing exponentially. We were frankly jumping every day in terms of our 
market cap or sorry, market capitalization or market value. And I, I remember on a daily basis, we our, our stock was jumping like $20 a share or in the double digits every single day. And so we all felt like we were getting rich. But because we were you know growing at such astronomical rates, it also felt as if he was a god, like he was this amazing person who had built this company. And he was so amazing that he was almost untouchable. But we had seen him in company meetings, you know, we had basically known that he was somewhat, I guess, uh, approachable. But for some reason, I felt even more compelled, and I've always been like this in my life, is to literally just reach out and just say uh, hello or, or reach out to him and ask him this, this question that I felt was very important at the time, which was, could you be my mentor? I had assumed that many people probably have not asked him or were very afraid, and I thought maybe there was a chance that because I was bold enough to ask him, he would say yes. And after I had emailed him and pressed the, the send button, I remembered being very scared and even talking to some of my coworkers and them wondering, well, are you going to get fired? But instead of, you know, experiencing any negative repercussions of being so bold, I actually ended up receiving something positive. No, he didn't say that he would be my mentor. He, did, he definitely did not receive it in that way. And he definitely did not lay out any plans um, to, to help this young Korean American um, test I guess testing software tester, which is what capacity that I was in at the time, um, software testing engineer, um, become a mentee of his. Instead, what he said was, I'm going to buy you lunch. So I got a very nice lunch. I remember it was a hamburger that I bought, uh, or rather a hamburger that he treated me to. We went to a very nice restaurant, so it was kind of like a fancy hamburger in New York City. Um, I don't remember what restaurant it was might have been a french restaurant of some sort so the hamburger might have been the only thing familiar on the menu that that resonated with me but that's not the important part of the story the important part was that i asked him a lot of questions about who he was and how he became literally this successful entrepreneur and one of the questions that i had asked was like what do you do on a regular basis in order to prepare and and, and frankly um you know, become as educated as he was and, you know, prepared as he was in order to run the company. But it wasn't even the answers to the question that blew questions that blew my mind. Um, but it was actually one thing that he talked about in addition to explaining what business were all about. Lots of great things came from that conversation, in all honesty, and I still remember them to this day. So it was like one of the most meaningful lunches that I've ever had in my entire life. So thank you, Kevin. And one thing that he had said, it was just kind of, I can't remember why he said it. Um, it was honestly one of, even though it was one of the most uh, didactic experiences in my entire life, it was also one of the most uh, nerve wracking ones because Kevin has this personality where he doesn't answer questions right away. So you ask him a question and then there's this long pause. Yeah, literally this really long pause. And because it was so long, you, you felt compelled to, to answer or sorry, to, to address your question that you asked him. So I'd ask him something like, what kind of reading do you do on a regular basis? Yeah. And yeah, 
I mean, it would be longer than that. It was such a long pause that I was I would just jump into the next question, and then he would interrupt me um, and actually answer the question. So it was it was a very very like I said stressful um, lunch in some ways, but it was so didactic. I mean. So so enriching in terms of what I didn't know at the time and what he ended up sharing and teaching me. But one one comment struck my mind and to this day I still remember because it is supporting today's claim in, in the podcast, which was supporting what Andy Grove had proclaimed, which was only the paranoid survive. And Kevin literally told me that day that he was that type of person and i tell you a little bit about his confidence in terms of how he answers questions and how literally he can intimidate you but despite all that confidence he also had this underlying paranoia or this underlying fear that something could disrupt his company or rather there was a threat on the horizon or some issue that perhaps could bring double click down and the interesting thing was three years later after joining the company, the company did literally implode or the company's valuations dropped, uh, of not just DoubleClick, but many, many dot-coms because we were literally spending money hand over fist and, and bleeding like you would never believe. Uh, Amazon, I think even at the time, was, was bleeding so much money that it was just almost ridiculous. So all these dot-com billionaires and all these dot-com companies had literally fallen from the sky to reality in that you can't spend money like that or lose money like that as an organization and the stock market literally tumbled so it was like one of the first tumblings of the stock market in this millennium and when it happened literally he had to lay off everyone um, outside of new york city and i don't know how many people he actually laid off in the city but i had lost my job and everybody else did in all of the satellite cities that he had built operations around. Maybe San Francisco had a, a you know, bare skeleton uh, crew after we had left or after most of the people got laid off. But that was probably one of the fears that he had is something like that happening. But at that lunch, he told me that he would consistently worry about things like that. Like he'd go into every workday wondering like, what were our threats? I remember there was a company called 24-7 Media, I think at the time, that was potentially like one of the companies that could have you know, literally uh, given us a hard time or, or run for our money. And there was probably many other companies. I mean, we were one of the first companies out there to dominate the area of banner advertising. I mean, we, we literally, delivered billions and billions if not trillions of, of banners but with all that said things change like today we don't have banner advertising as much or rather it's changed to a display form of advertising and it's not like it was back then and as a result it was one of the threats that perhaps he was worried about and so he mentioned that and that till today resonates with me and that is something that I tell all of you out there if you do create startups moving forward you should actually embrace that as well you should be constantly thinking about your competition you should be constantly worrying about inflection points you should be constantly thinking about the winds of change there are dynamics on a daily basis that are affecting what could threaten your company 
And so that is something to understand. I mean, like today, COVID-19, today, racial issues. There are so many things that potentially could disrupt what is going on tomorrow. And if you're not wary of that and you're not constantly monitoring all the different channels that exist out there and, and, and literally staying in touch, you will be literally threatened, sorry, not threatened, but you will be vulnerable to something that could literally destroy your startup or, or create ripples that will make it so much more difficult to move beyond your current success. So that is what I wanted to make sure all of you knew out there. And I wanted to share not only that anecdote, but also just the whole concept of being paranoid. And I forgot one last part to, to add on top of this, which, which is something that reminded me of wanting to do this, this particular topic here today. I was jogging the other day, and today, coincidentally, I uh, reached the longest jog or the longest uh, distance that I've ever reached in my entire life. It's actually twice as long as I used to think that I could actually reach, which in, you know, maybe five, ten years ago or, you know, in this, this, this decade, the most I thought I could reach was about five kilometers and I had struggled to get to five kilometers when I was in Hong Kong for a number of years. And I thought, well, that might be like the peak. That's the most I'll ever run. But today I broke 10 kilometers for the first time in my life. Yes, I'm in a little bit of pain and definitely my body's telling me that's a lot. But what happened the other day um, approaching today was I, I took it kind of easy yesterday for the first time in a very long time. I was on average running about eight kilometers uh, on a daily basis. And then yesterday, for some reason, my body just told me I should not go this crazy. And the other reason why I decided to stop is because I finally reached 250 kilometers after 50 runs. Yeah. So I reached a, a, a I guess, a, a goal of mine, which was, you know, to get to that 250 kilometer mark, which is the most that I've ever run in probably a short period of time. And once I hit it, which all I needed was about three plus kilometers, I felt like I was good. But on that run, I was reminded of, frankly, the issue that we're talking about here today. I literally out of the blue for a split second, literally, I had barely even looked a tad down. I, I, I frankly, I, I don't even remember how, how short that period it was, but... But the fact is that I, I literally like put my head down or, or looked down for just a split second. And the next moment when I pulled my head up, I was kind of blown away or, or, or surprised by a construction worker who had walked right in front of me. So uh, if I do end up blogging this and, and sharing it in written form, I'm going to definitely have to include a, an image of the construction site that I ran by. But you would have never had thought that somebody like that would come out of the blue. And what, what made me think about this here today was we are still deep in COVID-19. So there is a chance that we could still get the, 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 you know, the virus. And one thing that's very, very important is to obviously avoid people and stay six feet plus away from them and then constantly wear your masks. And I think at that moment, I did not have my mask on. And so it kind of kind of shocked me that this guy would literally just walk in front of me and not even care because he wasn't wearing a mask. And he did it right 
literally about a foot away, maybe less. He, he almost brushed by um, when I had looked up and thought, what, what, what the heck? And it made me realize, you know, for a split hair of a second, it gives an opportunity for something that potentially could have endangered my life. Sure, I'm probably not going to suffer like the many other people out there who had gotten who had gotten or will get COVID-19. I think my body can probably handle it regardless if I get it or not. And you know, maybe I can't. I don't know. We'll see. But um, I'm a little secure, not as worried. But still, it made me realize that you know, again, for a split second, anything can happen. Frankly, uh, uh, a big, large piece of wood could have swung by and hit me in the head something could have fallen from the sky you know maybe I could have um, you know ran or stepped into a hole or a section that that would you know endanger or break my leg or or so many different things I mean there's been twice in my life where I almost lost it because I had looked at a map or I had literally tried to find some navigation for a split hair and and totaled my vehicle twice. Yeah, I totaled it twice. And so it's a reminder to all of you out there that sometimes you can never rest on your laurels. Of course, we need to sleep and of course we need to live reasonable lives. But this is a reminder that when you are running companies, you're responsible for many, many people out there. So that's another thing is if you take on this, you know, task of building a startup, you do need to understand you're taking on responsibility. And that's one of the reasons why I almost decided not to do it um, a few years ago. And even most recently last year, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm not the right person. But I also realized I am the right person because I believe I'm better than the majority or at least I'm better than many other people who might be able to tackle this. So I decided I'm going to do it regardless. But again, having that responsibility is a very weighty thing. It is a very important thing. And so you should, when you do take on this responsibility, also understand that you might need to be paranoid or you might need to be always ready and always paying attention to your competition and and frankly, constantly monitoring all the different elements that will help you as an organization. Okay, so that's the theme today and the moral or the lesson that I wanted to share. And hopefully this does help you or give you the um, little tip that moving forward, if you ever do run an organization or even if you're running one right now, it's a reminder that you should be paying attention and that you should embrace, you know, basically paranoia or at least uh, understanding that you should, you know, not, you know, rest on your laurels and you, you should actually have your guards up when it comes to, or not just guards, but, but just be very, very proactive in all your efforts to hopefully help your company continue to grow, maintain some growth, or obtain whatever level of success that you want to basically achieve. All right. So thank you again for listening to us here at People Real. And I hope you enjoyed today's little topic that we explored. And come back, please, for more episodes. And if you do get a chance to actually give us a little rating here at the end of listening or, you know, in between maybe some of the other podcasts, if you are listening to more than one here today, please do. We always appreciate it. We appreciate your time paying attention to what we say here on the show. And actually moving forward, we may even start to get some guests jumping on 
Um, we're, we're definitely uh, wanting to do that. We just decided that we're going to approach this maybe a little bit later once we have a little more time to dedicate to our podcast. Again, thank you very much for your time and have a great one out there from People Real. <laughs>